0: A guy named Van Morris took his not Van and the singer but Van Morrison took his daughter and grandchildren to the zoo, and while they were there, they visited the orangutan uh, orangutan exhibit. And the only thing that separated them from these great apes was were thick pieces of glass. Well, Morris's two year old grandson Trevor was laughing at the. The orangutans until one of them came close enough and started beating fiercely on the glass, and he leapt into his mom's arms and cried, "I'm scared! I'm scared!" And his mom gently took his hand and placed it on the glass and showed him that the glass was shielding them, that there wasn't anything to fear. And after that, whenever he got uncertain, his mom would simply say, "Remember the glass." Sometimes we get scared, too. We can feel like nothing stands between us and the trouble coming at us. And certainly the church in some places in the world, in Darfur, in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, and many other places, is feeling that way right now. But the Apostle Peter, who understood these things better than we do, has written, Through faith, through faith you have been shielded by god's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time it's as if peter was saying remember the glass remember the glass our theme verse for family month is 1 Timothy 4:12 in which the wise mentor paul tells his young student timothy set an example in speech in lifestyle in love in faith and in purity. Today we want to think about what it takes to set an example in faith. From our perspective, I don't think from God's perspective, but from our perspective, the Christian life begins with faith. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's the presence of faith that justifies us, justifies our lives, our existence before God, the righteous life is lived by faith. By faith from first to last, as Romans one seventeen says, or literally from faith to faith. Whether you've been a Christ follower for a few weeks, or for 20 years, or for 80 years, you will never outgrow the need for faith. You don't reach some point where you don't need that anymore. If you listen to people talk around here or pray, you listen in on conversations, you'll sooner or later hear someone talk about glorifying God. We want people to say wow about God. We want them to realize how good and great and beautiful our God is. But how do we do that? How do we glorify God? One of the most powerful ways of glorifying God is to trust him, to exercise faith. When we're in the middle of some trouble, and there's never a day that at least one of us is not in the middle of some trouble, and we trust God, we are shielded and he's glorified. When cancer comes, when our jobs are threatened, when our children's health is compromised, when our car breaks down, when our marriage is on the line, and we choose to trust God, We glorify him. Trusting God glorifies him more than anything else, I think, unless it's loving God. See, I can talk about God like a salesman talks about a product. Talking about God does not necessarily glorify God. When I obey God, I may do that because I'm afraid of what people will think if I don't or afraid that God's just waiting for me to slip up so that he can punish me. I can obey him and not glorify him. I can give money in the offering because I've been taught that that's what you do or because I've heard on TV that if you do that, God's going to give you ten times as much back. That doesn't necessarily honor God. But faith is different because faith declares God faithful. When we trust him, we're telling the world that he's trustworthy. See, faith is not commendable, or heroic, or meritorious. It's sensible. It only makes sense to trust someone who's trustworthy. A lack of faith, say when cancer comes, or our jobs are threatened, our children's health is compromised, a lack of faith calls God's faithfulness into question. When I panic because of the cancer or because I've lost my job or because my car's broken down, I do the opposite of bringing God glory. I say cancer is bigger than my God. A broken car is bigger than my God. When I forget to pray and instead I desperately try to come up with solutions of my own, it's obvious that I think I'm bigger than my God. Instead of glorifying God, my behavior Dismisses him as irrelevant. How many church going, creed saying, doctrinally correct parents have buried landmines in their children's path to faith because they've repeatedly distrusted God when the crisis comes? We all know people who've proved themselves untrustworthy. And it's only natural for us to distrust such a person. When we don't trust God, we're placing him in that category. We glorify God by trusting him. We dishonor God by distrusting him. And frankly, too often, I've dishonored God by failing or refusing to trust him. I've believed my fears and what they were telling me rather than believe God and what he was telling me. I've turned to myself rather than to To him. I don't want to do that. I want to show the world what God can do when I trust him. We need examples of men and women who dare to trust God. We need you. Your children and grandchildren need you to be an example of faith. When you face cancer, when your job is threatened, when your child's health is compromised, when your car breaks down, when your marriage is on the line, you can show us that God can be trusted. That he'll be there for us, that he cares. You can do that for your families, for your children, for your church. Some of you know of the writer, intellectual, Ann Wilson. When he got into his 30s, he publicly, very publicly, renounced his faith, and he became one of Christianity's harshest critics for decades. But in 2009, he wrote a piece in the Daily Mail that surprised almost everyone. He said he'd come back to faith. Let me read you what he wrote. My own return to faith has surprised no one more than myself. Why did I return to it? Partially, I relish the notion that by asserting a belief in the risen Christ, I'm defying all the liberal, clever clogs on the block. But there's more to it than that. My belief has come in large measure because of the lives and examples of people I've known. Not the famous, not saints, but friends and relations who have lived and faced death in the light of the resurrection story, in the quiet acceptance that they have a future after they die. Here's this brilliant atheist who's come back to Christ because of Christian friends and family who set an example of faith, They trusted God in the face of death. And now A.N. Wilson is trusting God in the face of criticism and ridicule. What Wilson's friends and relations did for him, you and I can do for our friends and relations. Now, the greatest Old Testament example of faith was the father of the faithful, Abraham. In Hebrews 11, which is the great hall of faith chapter, he's given more space than any other person. If you ask, what does it look like to be an example of faith? The answer is, it looks like Abraham. Let's read about his example. I'm going to read verses 8 through 12 and then skip down to verse 17 and read through verse 19. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. The first thing I notice in this text and throughout Hebrews chapter 11 is that faith and works, in spite of what people say, are not at odds with each other. Quite the opposite, they are dependent upon each other. The life of faith issues in works, the way the life of an apple tree issues in apples. The fruit of faith is works, and that fruit provides the seeds from which fresh faith grows. It couldn't be more obvious. Look at the active verbs in just our passage. By faith, Abraham obeyed and went. That's verse 8. By faith, he made his home. He lived Verse 9, by faith he was, this is how the NIV puts it, enabled to be a father. Verse 10, by faith he offered Isaac. Verse 17, faith energizes action. And action grows faith, which then energizes action, which grows faith, which energizes more action. You get the picture. Faith works. If your faith doesn't work, If there's nothing different in your life because you believe in God, it's a pretty good sign that your faith is something different from Abraham's faith and from the faith of all the other people mentioned in this chapter. Faith was the cause. It was the reason that Isaac blessed, Jacob worshipped, Moses refused and chose and left and kept and passed through. It was by faith others conquered, administered, gained, shot, Quenched, escaped, faith in God made their lives different from what they would have been. Made their lives different from the lives of the people around them. See, faith works. I noticed something else about this passage. I noticed that faith is not some kind of risk management, or still less, some kind of risk reduction tool. If a risk management expert had assessed Abraham's risk before he came to faith in God and after he came to faith in God, he would have said the presence of faith increased his risk geometrically. You know, that's almost funny because people think of faith as a way of staying safe. If I become a Christian and trust God, My troubles will become manageable, and I'll be safe. Well, no one told Abraham that, or Isaac, or Jacob, or Joseph, or Moses, or any of the guys in this chapter who were, verse 37, stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. We don't trust God so that we can escape our problems. We trust God... Because he is trustworthy. In parts of Asia right now, there's an article about this in Mission Network News, not very long ago. In Asia right now, maybe in places in Indonesia, which is the largest Muslim country in the world, the, the most populous, In parts of Asia, when pastors are preparing new converts for baptism, some ask a series of questions. Are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? That's huge. That's huge. Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to go back to the village and to those who persecute you, forgive them, and share the love of Christ with them? Are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Are you willing to be beaten Rather than deny your faith. Are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die for Jesus? If you're not, we're not going to baptize you. Faith is not a way for those believers to reduce their risk. It wasn't for Abraham and it won't be for us. Well, then why trust God at all? Because he's trustworthy. Because he knows more than we know. He sees what we can't see and he wants what's best for us. Because He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's why we trust God. I mentioned that Abraham's faith, like the faith of all the people, singled out as examples in this chapter, issued in action. Faith always leads to action of some kind. But faith, and this is important... It doesn't always lead to answers. Faith doesn't remove all our doubts. It doesn't answer all our questions. Sometimes people think that faith is the opposite of uncertainty, and as long as they have uncertainty, they can't believe in Jesus. Faith is not the opposite of uncertainty. It's the opposite of unbelief, and there's a difference. A person can trust God in the midst of uncertainty, He can't trust God in the midst of unbelief. Let me illustrate for you. Would you believe that I I have a baseball in the pulpit? I need a volunteer who believes me. Will anyone volunteer? All right. The young man with the ponytail, stand up. (laughs) You believe that I have a baseball in the pulpit. Okay. I'm sorry but I'm about to take away your faith. And here's how I'm going to do it. Here's my baseball. It's a baseball signed by Mickey Mantle and some of the 67 New York Yankees. How did I take away your faith by showing you the baseball? I removed your uncertainty. I want that back. Now that you've seen the baseball, you don't need faith. A person can have real faith and still experience uncertainty. Abraham did. His faith didn't answer all his questions. It didn't take away his uncertainty. But it did help him connect to God in the midst of uncertainty. Look at the uncertainty in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance the Greek is something like, was about to receive as his inheritance. Obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. He had no certainty about where he was going. Faith did not change that. It didn't answer the question, where? It didn't answer the question. didn't give him the answer, but it gave him the answer. If the question in verse 8 is where, the question in verse 9 is When? God had promised Abraham a land and descendants. Abraham obeyed and he went, but he lived in that land without descendants as an alien and a migrant for 25 years. Lord, when will this land be mine? When will I have descendants to whom I can pass the inheritance on? Faith didn't give Abraham an answer to the question when, but it did give him the answer. He was able to live with hope. Even in uncertainty, he was able to wait, and that's a sure sign of faith. And he wasn't the only one. Look at verse 13, which speaks of the broader company of the faithful and says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They died in faith. They awoke in certainty. And so, verse 16, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. Where and when were not Abraham's only questions. Perhaps bigger than either of them was the troubling question of how. As Abraham looked for where and waited for when, he couldn't help but wonder how. He was not a young man. His wife was no longer a young woman. Though he thought of her as beautiful, he did not think of her as young. She was too old to have children. God had promised Abraham a land to live in and heirs to live in it, but he had no heirs. He was old, and his wife was past her childbearing years. How was God going to fulfill his promise? Where, when, how? Faith did not give Abraham the answer to these questions. But in the midst of these questions... Faith connected him to the answerer. Whether you know it or not, you need the answerer far more than you need the answers. Let me give you one more question that faith didn't answer for Abraham, didn't remove the question. God told Abraham, and you can read about this in Genesis 22, and I recommend you do, to take his son, his only son, Isaac. Isaac, who was the answer to the how question. To Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there. And now the man who had lived by faith through the questions of where and when and how faced the most difficult question of all, when. I'm sorry, why? Many of us, probably most of us, have had why questions. Why now, God? Why now when things are finally starting to come together? Why him, God? He's such a good kid, a star athlete. He was on his way to a full ride scholarship before the accident. Why him? Why me, God? Did I do something wrong? Why? 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 Whether or not faith gives us answers to where and when and how and why, it will connect us to who? To the God who is compassionate and loving, merciful and kind. I may not know. I may never know why this thing happened. But I know who I can go to and I know that he's good. Too good to want to harm me. And I know that he's strong, strong enough to take this evil thing and somehow make good come from it. I think it's safe to say that Abraham never did see how good could come from the sacrifice of one's only begotten son. But God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, did. He knew how to bring good. Even from that, when it comes to trusting God, I think, why is the most challenging question for most people I meet? Steve St, Saint, Steve St's missionary father, Nate St, was speared to death on the Carari River in Ecuador when he was trying to bring the good news of Jesus to the Warrani people who were living there. His son Steve was only five years old when his dad and four other missionaries were murdered. And as he grew older, he couldn't think, couldn't help but think, and these are his words, that the murders of his dad and those four other missionaries were capricious, an accident of bad timing. Many years later, Steve Saint was traveling through the country of Mali when his car broke down. I know something about traveling through Mali and have your car break down. It's pretty scary. And as he waited for something to happen, his thoughts turned again to his dad and his dad's seemingly pointless death. Steve ended up finding some locals, and he asked them directions to a church, and a few of the children led him to this tiny mud brick house with a poster on the wall showing wounded hands covering a cross. And there was a man there wearing flowing robes, the pastor, and he introduced himself as Nau. And he started sharing with Steve about his faith in Christ. He said that after becoming a Christian, his family had disowned him. His mother even put a sorcerer's poison into Nau's food at a family gathering. And he ate the food, but he didn't suffer any ill effects from it. When Steve asked Na'u, he's telling him all these things that he went through, why he was willing to pay such a steep price for following Christ. Na'u just said, I know God loves me and I'll live with him forever. But Steve pressed on. But where does your courage come from? And Na'u explained that when, when he was a young man, a missionary gave him books about Christians who had suffered from their faith, for their faith. And then... He said, my favorite was about five young men who risked their lives to take God's good news to people in the jungles of Ecuador. The book says that they let themselves be speared to death, even though they had guns and could have killed their attackers. So they're on the other side of the world from Ecuador. Thirty years later, on the edge of the Sahara, where Steve Saint had once again fallen into thinking that his dad's death had been pointless. He was accidentally thrown together with a man whose life had been unalterably changed by his father's faith. He said to Nau, one of those men was my father, which Saint was stunned. Now Nau was stunned. Your father? He then told Steve Saint how as a young Muslim... He had turned to Christ and was able to hold on to his faith in spite of great adversity because of those five brave young missionaries who gave their lives because they believed in God and they loved people. Too often we think, my faith didn't work. I didn't get what I hoped for. Well, I don't think Nate Saint got what he hoped for. But did his faith work? Faith doesn't always get us what we want, but it does always shape us into who we want most to be. We need men and women, girls and boys, to show us what faith in the God of Nate Sain, faith in the God of Abraham, faith in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ looks like. We need people, people who are just like us, people who don't know where or when or how or why, who will dare to trust God. People who trust God when cancer comes, when their jobs are threatened, when their children's health is compromised, when their cars break down, when their marriages are on the line. We need people who will fully and joyfully trust God and bring him glory. And we can be those people. Let's tell God that we choose to be those people right now. Let's bow our heads. If you're willing to be one of those people in the midst of uncertainty who will trust God by his grace, with his help, would you tell him that right now? And let me add this with your head still bowed. If you have not come to faith in Christ, you have not dared to trust him yet. And the reason is you still got uncertainty and doubt. You need to know that trusting him does not remove all uncertainty. If you wait until every doubt and uncertainty is gone, you'll wait forever. Are you willing to trust him? Will you open your life and receive him into your heart, receive his life, the life that's able to trust God into you? Don't wait. Now, God, hear our prayers. Change our lives. Make us people who are full of faith in the Holy Spirit. For Jesus' sake, amen.